Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Good morning, church. First Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Karen, thanks for doing our reading today. I would be remiss if I didn't mentioned today that today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and it corresponds to the date, January 22, 1973, exactly 50 years ago, when the Supreme Court Roe versus Wade decision uh, tragically discovered a right in the Constitution to abortion, and that was exactly 50 years ago today. Well, we have reputable records that show that since that day 50 years ago, that more than 63 million babies were aborted in America during that time. And that's equivalent to nearly 20% of the current population of America. Well, last June, the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade uh, because it was bad law. And... The abortion rate consequently has dropped by 6%, and if it continues at that rate, that saves about 60,000 babies a year. And this is a move in the right direction, uh, where we believe that all children are valuable to God, whatever age. Would you pray with me as we thank the Lord for that decision and prepare our hearts for the message this morning? Gracious and merciful God, forgive us our sins. Lord, whether it's a sin that was committed individually or a sin that is corporate as a nation, we ask you to forgive us for the mistreatment of children of any age. Forgive us. And Lord, we ask that we would do better. We pray that you'd use this Supreme Court decision and the move to save these unborn children for your glory. Lord, as we come to your word, we need instruction, we need guidance, we need help. We thank you that you not only tell us what to do in your word, but you also give us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do it. And so we ask for the Holy Spirit now to fill each of us, me so I can speak well, those listening that they can listen well and hear your words. And Lord, then that we would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, carry out what you've told us that we should do. Bless us now as you speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was 25 years old, newly graduated from 
Seminary, and I was about six months into my very first pastorate as the associate pastor at a church plant here in Kailua, Faith Baptist Church. And one Sunday, a lady approached me from the church, and she wanted to get to know her, her new pastor. So she started asking me a series of questions, and there's one question that I still remember because it really stuck with me. She asked me, have you always wanted to be a pastor? Well, I, it's a good question, but I never really thought about it. So I paused for a moment before I answered, and then I answered the first thing that came in my mind and answered quite honestly. I said, no. I've never wanted to be a pastor. <laughs> well, she looked at me kind of shocked, and I realized I needed to add something to that. And, and so, again, I answered honestly, and I said, well, I just have always wanted to follow Jesus, and this is where he has led me. Now, of course, my answer should be all of our answers as Christians. If you take the moniker Christian, follower of Christ, then you should follow him and see where you end up. And I like the way that Christian author John White describes our following of Jesus. He likens it to a dance, and he uses the French words pas de deux, and that means a dance for two. It's a dance for two that is in ballet when you have two people dancing, but they're dancing not separately, but in harmony together. A pas de deux, dance for two. Unless the dancers cooperate with one another, the dance isn't going to be successful. And we're in a dance with Jesus. And it's not you that leads. It's not me that leads. It's Jesus that wants to lead your dance. He wants to lead my dance. It's a dance for two with Jesus leading the dance. And unless Jesus leads your dance, you're not going to be successful. We're in a series entitled Life Getting It Right. And last week, we had a sermon, and the title was True Success. And after I finished that sermon, I realized I hadn't said everything I wanted to say on true success. And so I thought this week I'll come up with a really clever title so I can continue that sermon. And so the clever title is True Success Part 2. Isn't that creative? <laughs> let's, let's review True Success Part 1. I'm, I'm going to put it on the screen for you. It's not in your notes, but hopefully it's in your mind or your thoughts from last week. But we saw last week, the first thing we saw, truth number one, is that the world, which the Bible calls the cosmos, measures success by what is external. External. External things like your stuff. But God measures success by what is internal, what's on the inside, what's in your soul, what your motive is for what you do. We also saw a second truth last week. We saw that the world, the cosmos, measures success based on achievement, the things that you've achieved, that you've done, the outside things. But God measures success based on your faithfulness to him, your faithfulness, what's on the inside, your motive for doing what you've done. And if you missed last week's sermon and are interested in hearing about that, you can get it on our website in a video format or audio format. You can get it on a podcast, listen to it while you drive or, or while you work out. But today we want to talk about true success, part two. And we're going to be getting some biblical truths on success taken from one of the nation of Israel's least successful prophets at least by the world standards. And this Jewish prophet, his name was Jeremiah. And he had a prophetic ministry, which the world would probably say was a pathetic ministry because he wasn't well-received. By the world standards, Jeremiah was anything 
but a success. The year was 626 B.C., and God showed up in Jeremiah's life, and he was just a young man, a youth. And God gave Jeremiah a job that he had never wanted. He'd never wanted to be a prophet, and God says, you're a prophet. Now, in case you've forgotten or perhaps never been taught the difference between a prophet and a priest, let me just take a minute to describe the difference between a prophet and a priest. A priest speaks to God for the people. A prophet speaks to the people for God. A priest's ministry is upward towards heaven. A prophet's ministry is downward from heaven. Priests primarily ministered in the temple, where the prophets ministered primarily out in the marketplace. The people would come to the priests to find comfort. The, the prophets would go to the people to confront them. Priests were often revered by the people. Prophets were often reviled by the people. And this youthful Jewish man, young man named Jeremiah, is called by God to be a prophet. That's going to be his career. And it wasn't a career that normally had a very successful career path. Because prophets in the Old Testament, we're told, were ridiculed, they were rejected, they were persecuted, they were even executed. Let's pick up Jeremiah's story in Jeremiah chapter 1. And the book of Jeremiah is somewhat in the middle of your Bible. If you're using a paper Bible, if you're using a digital Bible, just type in Jeremiah. That's a little bit easier. And we'll also have it on screen, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 is where we're going to pick it up. Verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, here's God's word. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's a very appropriate verse for Sanctity of Life Sunday, by the way, showing the importance of even the preborn. And so God says, I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I have a job for you. God has always wanted Jeremiah to be a prophet. Before he was even born, God had a plan for Jeremiah. But Jeremiah, how do you feel about this? Well, he felt quite differently. Notice verse 6. Then I, Jeremiah, said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. Let's stop here and get personal for a moment. What's your excuse? <laughs> when God asks you to do something, what's your first response? If you're like most of us, it's I can't, which really isn't true. What you're really saying is I won't. Jeremiah's response of no, I can't is actually kind of a foolish response when you think about it. I mean, God is the one who gives us our abilities. So when God asks us to do something, it's because he knows that we will be able to do it. Maybe not in our own power, but in his power. And it's almost like Jeremiah says, hey, God, you forgot something here. You're asking me to do something, but don't you know who I am? <laughs> don't you know I'm just a kid? Don't you know I don't know how to speak? And all-knowing God knows all those things. And an all-powerful God, he can make sure you can do what he's asked you to do, even if you don't think you can. 
God can use any of you, regardless of what you think. Saying I can't do that to an all-powerful God is a foolish thing to say. Because when God is calling you to do something, it's not about your abilities. It's about his abilities. He is able to use you regardless of your abilities. In fact, the less abilities and the less gifted you are, the more possibility is that God's going to get the glory when he uses you. Let's continue to read, picking it up again in verse 6 and then continuing to verse 9. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. I'm a youth. I don't have the ability. I have some good excuses. <laughs> but, that word that changes everything, verse 7, but the Lord said to me, basically, don't give your excuses. Do not say I'm a youth, because wherever I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. It wasn't about Jeremiah's ability. It was about his availability. God had the ability to put the words in Jeremiah's mouth. Which brings us to number one on your outline there. If you're taking notes, there's some outlines by the door. If you're watching online, they're available on our website. Number one on your notes, true success is being faithful to God regardless of your personal abilities or limitations. Regardless of your personal abilities or limitations. Think about it. The reason that God measures your success based on your faithfulness and not on your abilities is because God gave you those abilities. So it wouldn't make any sense for him to measure your success based on how able you are. He gave that to you. But it's you who decides how faithful you're going to be. And that's why God measures success by your faithfulness regardless of your abilities and limitations. So looking at your outline, there are two things I want you to remember. I'm going to mention the first one now and the second one a little bit later. But remember this. God doesn't measure success by what you can do. He measures success by what you will do. He doesn't measure success by what you can do because he gave you those abilities or lack of them. But he measures your success on what you're willing to do for him. And God appoints Jeremiah to speak to the Jewish people who are in rebellion against God. As you may know, the Jewish nation came about through God's promise to one man by the name of Abraham, and God promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. Well, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you know your biblical history, you might know that the nation of Israel had a political split over unfair taxation. And the nation split, but it didn't split evenly. It split north and south. Ten tribes in the north split from two tribes in the south. And the ones in the north we call the nation of Israel. The ones in the south we call the nation of Judah. And so when we read this text in Jeremiah today, you're going to be hearing about Judah. Those are the two remaining tribes. And in Judah, 
is where we have the capital, city of Jerusalem, and the Jewish temple. Well, the ten tribes in the north rebelled against God. They became idolaters. They were worshiping idols made out of trees and rocks. And you go, who would ever worship a god made out of a tree or a rock? Well, if you know the Polynesian culture, let me show you a picture of some of their gods. Tikis. Tikis are false gods carved out of wood or can be carved out of rock. And in the pagan, animistic Polynesian culture, they worshipped them. God hates that. If you have a tiki in your yard or on your shelf or around your neck, that is an idol. There's a false god. And God hates that. So in 722 B.C., God punished these northern ten tribes of Israel. And he sent in these wicked people, the Assyrians, the world rulers at that time. And they went in and they attacked those ten tribes and assimilated them. And they were scattered. And they became what we call the lost ten tribes of Israel. So now we have two tribes left, the two tribes that are called Judah in the south. And you think, whoa, we don't want that happening to us. They didn't learn. These two tribes also worshiped false gods made with their hands. And so God said, really? <laughs> and he sends Jeremiah as a prophet to warn them and said, Look what happened to your sister in the north. Do you want that to happen to you? If you don't repent, I'm going to send in the current world power. At that time was Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's going to come in and he's going to wipe out your city, Jerusalem, and your temple. And he's going to take all of you captive and put you in exile in Babylon for 70 years if you don't repent. And that was Jeremiah's message. Now, I'm going to say something very simple and extremely profound that I want you to write down. It's easy to write down because you only have to fill in the blanks here under remember. And it's so obvious that I shouldn't have to say it, but it's obvious that we don't follow it. Here it is. Remember, listening to God is always better than not listening to God. It's pretty simple. It's profound. Listening to God is always better than not listening to God. When you roll the dice, it ought to come up God every single time. And yet, you and I, because of our sinful flesh, want to fight that simple principle that listening to God is always better than not listening to God. But someday, every person who's ever lived and died will believe this. Whether they're in hell or whether they're in heaven, they're going to believe this. And you're thinking, well, pastor, that's a hell of a thing to say. <laughs> and it really is. <laughs> well, back to Jeremiah. Let's fast forward 23 years. We're in the 23rd year of Jeremiah's preaching. By the way, I just finished my 23rd year of preaching to you. And notice what it says in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 3. 25.3, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, these 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me. And I've spoken to you again and again. But you have not listened. Now, I'm not speaking about the people here. This is Jeremiah talking about his. I Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. And Jeremiah says, and the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again. But you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. They didn't know our principle that listening to God is always better than not listening to God. 
The prophets were saying, turn now everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds and dwell in the land which the Lord has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. And do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them and do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands, the idols that you've made with your hands out of rocks and wood, and I will do no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, God says, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands, those idols that you made with the hands, to your own harm. I'm sure after 23 years, both Jeremiah and his listeners were tired of the same sermon. It's like, really, Jeremiah? The same sermon again? Yeah, you haven't done this one. I heard of a pastor that kept that at his church. Week after week, he kept preaching the same sermon. And so somebody said, why? He says, because you haven't done it yet. I'm going to keep preaching till you do it. And that's what Jeremiah did for 17 years. I mean, for 23 years, but he's still got 17 more to go. He's going to do this for 40 years. Here's the second lesson on your outline, number two. True success is being faithful to God regardless of how long it takes. Being faithful to God regardless of how long it takes. Do you pray once and give up? Or maybe you prayed a whole year and gave up? Being faithful to God means you're faithful to him regardless of how long it takes. Have you shared the love of Christ with an unbelieving family member year after year and they still don't know Jesus? Well, keep it up. Have you resisted sexual temptation month after month, year after year, decade after decade? Well, don't give up. True success is being faithful to God regardless of how long it takes. Jeremiah is just barely past the halfway point. He's going to be doing this for 40 years. And it's going to get worse. I was going to say before it gets better, but it doesn't get better. <laughs> Notice in Jeremiah chapter 26, Jeremiah, who's been doing this since he was a youth, now he's middle-aged, chapter 26, verse 2. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah, who have come to worship in the Lord's house, all the words that I have commanded you to speak to them, do not omit a word. So Jeremiah is told, he is to speak every word that God told him to speak, don't omit anything. Verse 3, perhaps they will listen and everyone will turn from his evil way, that I, God, may repent of the calamity which I'm planning to do to them because of the evil of their deeds. So Jeremiah does this. Go down to verse 8. And when Jeremiah finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him saying, what a great sermon. <laughs> no, they said, you must die. Oh my goodness, I preached some bad sermons. I preached some good sermons to some bad people. But no one ever said, you must die. And I'm not suggesting you start today. Here's the third thing you want to learn here. Number three on your outline. True success is being faithful to God regardless of the reactions of others. Regardless of the reactions of others, you stay faithful to God. You and I need to be a lot more concerned with what God thinks about us than what our roommate thinks or our spouse or other family members or our workmates or our classmates. True success is being faithful to God regardless of the reactions of others. 
Well, the nation of Judah never paid attention to Jeremiah's warnings. Forty years of preaching to no avail. And in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came in and took them captive. And Jeremiah, what happened to him? He was actually forced into exile in Egypt, which according to secular records, he died there, a complete failure in the world's eyes, but not in God's eyes. I want to close the sermon by reading the scripture that was read earlier in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 5. I'm reading it for a, ver a version of uh, ESV. You might not have that, so just listen if you would. He says, this is how one should regard us, you and me, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, Paul says, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. You're not who decides if I'm faithful or if you're faithful. Paul says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. He goes, I don't even really know if I've been faithful. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. It's the Lord who decides if we're faithful or not. So he says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. What time? Before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and notice, will disclose the purposes of the heart. He will judge your heart, your motive, your soul, the inside. And then each one will receive his commendation from God. God wants to bless you. Not just now. He wants to bless you forever. He wants to reward you forever. And there's a part of heaven that is affected by how you lived down here on earth. The scripture is clear. We get rewarded in heaven for what we do here out of our faithfulness to God. And God wants to award you, reward you, bless you richly. So be faithful to him. Would you pray with me? I'd like to ask you to bow your heads. Even if you're watching online so you can have a private moment. I'd like you to look at your hearts. Have you come to a point in your life where you have acknowledged that Jesus Christ has died for your sins, that he rose from the grave and conquered death, that he's offering you eternal life, forgiveness of sin? If you look in your heart and you've realized that you've known about this in your head, but you've never asked Jesus into your heart, you've never yielded your will to his will, I urge you right now to do that. In the quietness of your heart, just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. I yield my will to your will. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for taking away my sins. Thank you for granting me eternal life. Christian, as we continue to pray, Lord, we pray as Christians that you would help us to be faithful. Lord, where we've been unfaithful, forgive us. Where we've been discouraged, please fill us with your encouragement. Where we've gotten our eyes off the path, please put our eyes back on the path.
where we've done well, Lord, show us that. Encourage us that we might continue to do well. Thank you, Lord, for making this clear that listening to you is always better than not listening to you. We love you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.